Go ahead and turn to your your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. I'll actually be picking up in chapter 4, verse 14. And again, as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. And I've been given a note as a reminder. Need servants for VBS. Our Vacation Bible School is starting on the 17th, and we still have areas that we need some help in. And so there's a sign-up sheet at the uh, information booth, or if you want to know more about it, you can talk to either um, um, Annie and Andre or uh, Martin, and they'll, they'll, they'll help you out on it. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 14, and then we'll get into chapter 5. The writer writes, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weaknesses. Because of this, he is required for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh... When he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Father, once more, we just lift up this time in your word as we been looking at our Lord and looking at the details of who he is. I pray once more that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would increase our faith, Lord, through the knowledge of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So what we've been seeing in Hebrews so far by this unknown author that, well, when it comes to the Lord, well, as far as prophets, Jesus is better. We saw that Jesus was no angel when it comes to comparison with angels. He's better. As far as his message compared to Moses' message, well, he had a better message. Remember now, in the original manuscripts that we have of the Greek, there's no punctuation. The punctuation, the chapters and the verses and all of these things have been added for the purpose of understanding and finding certain verses within the scriptures. And I believe that chapter 4, starting at verse 16, the verses that I read, I'm sorry, starting at verse 14, have a better fit in chapter 5 because we're introduced to a new concept there. We saw in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, that we are to enter into his rest, and we saw that in detail. But in verses 14 through 16, we're introduced to the new concept of Jesus Christ, the great high priest. 
It's almost as if this author is answering a hypothetical question when combining the necessity for rest, but also the reality of the Hebrew mind, the priest. How can you possibly have rest if you don't have a priest? Now, Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple, but what is God doing? God's preparing his people. Whenever there's a change coming, God prepares his people. When Christ came, what did he do? He sent the forerunner, he sent John the Baptist. Well, as the temple is about to be destroyed, we don't know exactly how many years, but nonetheless, and the Jewish sacrificial system is to be done away with, part of what the Lord is doing here in this letter of Hebrews is preparing the people, specifically preparing Hebrew believers. Now remember, we don't know who penned this letter, but he is in Rome and he's writing to Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. And so they're going to be seeing this Jewish worship system torn down right before their very eyes, but that's okay. And it's okay for us as well. There doesn't need to be a temple over in Israel. Why? Because we've got something better. We've got something very much better in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Jewish mind, well, who's going to be offering the sacrifices? Make intersection. Stand in the gap between God and man. Who's going to rightly represent us before our holy God? And they can seem that something seriously will be missing here when this truly happens. And so the writer of Hebrews, even before it's happened, preparing them that, well, you've got something so much better. And all of those high priests that fail, even those high priests that had Messiah crucified, you've got something so much more richer, something that is going to be fulfilling, something that is going to fulfill your life as you have never been fulfilled before. And so again, in verses 14 through 16, seeing that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of these things, boldly come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In essence, what he's saying, this Jesus that I've been telling you about He's the great high priest. He is the ultimate of high priests. Now, the high priest would be the one on the Day of Atonement that would have to enter in to the Holy of Holies, representing people to make atonement for all the sins. Well, Jesus entered into the ultimate Holy of Holies, into the throne room of God, and because of that, you're rightly represented. You're rightly represented before the Father. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you because he is, well, when it says the great high priest, when it says the, he is the one and only. Great, he is overall, and high priest, he's the fulfillment of all of the high priests before. And Jesus, he's the one who passed through the heavens. Every other high priest, you could look and you could find their body in the dirt, or at least their ashes in the dirt. But Jesus... Jesus ascended, and he ascended into the heavens. And as he ascended into the heavens, he's still there, able to rightly represent. You didn't miss the boat here, he wants them to know. He's not a great high priest who came and was crucified, although he was, but he's not gone. He's still there, and again, he's still able to minister to you. He's able to represent you before the Father, even while you're still dead in sins and trespasses. Christ came, and he died for the ungodly. And so he went up through the sky, he ascended above all others, and now he is dwelling in the dwelling place of God. 
And unlike every other priest, Jesus, Jesus is without sin. Now, just think if you were called before the king. The message came, and today was the day that you were called, and you were going to have to stand before the king. Who do you want to prepare you to be able to stand? Now, let's say the king of kings and put it in context. Do you want to be just prepared by some pastor, a priest, or even a pope? I mean, these men who can't really do anything for themselves, spiritually speaking, and I mean as far as the forgiveness of sin and whatnot. I mean, as you're standing before God, or at least as you're thinking of standing before God, you're going to be thinking of every rotten sin you've ever committed. Your sinful nature is going to be at the forefront of your mind. And then you're going to be reminded, although you know it, nobody else knows it, at least not the degree, although we kind of do know what kind of sinners you all are, because we're the same. You know God knows it. You know that your sin, your sin will be well seen by God because we're all naked in his sight. I'd sure be hoping that that priest, pastor, or pope did everything right. I hope they would do everything right, and I can imagine the anxiety before you would walk in. I used to be an electrical contractor, and there was a real busy time when I hired people and wasn't real sure how, how good of electricians they were, and it just kind of got crazy, and there were some jobs that I didn't even see until the end of the jobs, till they were over, my guys having done the wiring and everything, and I remember this one particular job, there was a guy I didn't trust. He had messed up before, and I had to go in there, and we had a 400-amp sub-panel that was inside the unit, 480 volts, or 200-amp sub-panel, 480 volts, and it went to 112 and a half, I know this doesn't mean much to most of you, 112 and a half KVA transformer, which is a big transformer. It fed a 400-amp sub-panel. And so Edison put the meter in, but they wouldn't turn it on because they weren't fools. I was the fool that had to go turn it on. And what I was dependent upon is these guys properly wiring it. And so I went in there and I looked through and everything, as far as I could tell, was good. Now, there's no lights in the place because we haven't turned power on yet. And so I finally get to this place at the transformer. It's about that tall and it's about that wide. It's pretty big. And when you turn a transformer on, especially for the first time, there's a little bit of a kind of a shock and then a buzz to it, just that electricity hitting it. And they didn't really think about that. And I'm just thinking, please, Lord, make it not blow up because I'm standing right there. And I go and I hit the switch and it, boom, and it just scared me to death. See, I was dependent upon, and I don't even remember the guy's name, to do it right, and he did do it right. It was just the startup of the transformer that kind of shocked me, but then everything actually worked out well on that job. But how would you like to be shocked when you're standing before God? Who are you? Depart from me. I have never known you. I mean, just think of those words as you're depending upon Christ. You, you want to make sure that you've placed your trust in the proper place, in the proper person. Because this is, well, this is for all of eternity. And so as that's the case, we need to understand and we need to know truly who Jesus is. And that's the value of the book of Hebrews. Because it's focused upon Messiah. It's focused upon the person of Messiah and who he is and all that he has accomplished and how that even works in our lives even today. So their high priest, our high priest, well, their high priest is the priest that presents the sacrifice. Our high priest, he's both the priestly presenter, he presented the sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice as well. Keep in mind all of those other offerings made before throughout the course of history, just think as the blood flowed from all of those lambs, all of those, those bulls. Again, the best that they could ever do would be to cover sin. 
but as I was telling the teachers here before service, the problem with covered sin, there's always the the possibility that it's exposed, and how much more so could it be at an inopportune time? Well, if you look at, um, don't, don't turn there, but your kids are in Genesis chapter 22, and part of Genesis chapter 22 is in verse 8. This is the part where Abraham is to offer his son Isaac. Isaac is wondering, uh, Dad, we got all the stuff for the sacrifice. Uh, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now remember John the Baptist. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the idea here being is all those other sacrifices, they just covered sin, but there was still the knowledge. You were still carrying the burden of sin. Those great high priests, or the previous high priests, weren't all that great. But now we have the great high priest. And what's so great about our high priest? Well, many things without a doubt. But one of the things is, is he takes away the sins of the world. My my sin has been done away with, and now I have perfect freedom in Christ. It's something that no animal sacrifice was ever going to accomplish. But now, again, we have been set free in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there was sacrifice after sacrifice, but on that one day, Matthew 27, we see the day that the Lord was sacrificed, there was the tearing of the curtain of that big veil, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest. And that veil, as it was torn in two, was no longer necessary to have this work of the high priest. All of humanity now could boldly enter in to the presence of God. Remember the temple? The temple was a picture of heaven. And it was before the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ that you couldn't enter in and, and go up to the king. You couldn't just go and say, hey, Abba, Father. That, that couldn't happen because your sins were still upon you. They hadn't been dealt with yet. But it was upon the point that they were dealt with that now you are adopted into the family of God and now you're welcome into that great throne room. So what we're going to do is compare the qualifications of their priest to our great high priest. We'll look at three qualifications of a priest, with the end result being that ours will be found as better. And so the first qualification of a priest is that he would be called to be one by God. Look at verse 1 in chapter 5. For every high priest taken from amongst men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. It's the first qualification of anybody in the work of ministry and how much more so anybody that stands behind a pulpit and definitely the great high priest that he must be appointed by God. This is something that man cannot cause to happen. You can be taught and trained, but if you're not called by God and filled with the Holy Spirit, your ministry is going to be ineffective, or the ministry that you've come to partake of is going to be an ineffective ministry. That person must be called by God. Now, we've all been called by God to different areas of ministry, but how much more so the one who is standing at the pulpit delivering the word of God. And that's a determination that you need to make as you come and visit a church. If you've made this your church, is the person behind the pulpit called to be there? Is he called to be there by God? Now, there was a little bit of a some division that happened back when Israel was wandering in the wilderness 
This man, Korah, stood up and caused division, and the people were really wondering, okay, who really is the priest? Who really is the leader? And, and, and Moses got together all of the, the, the fathers of the different tribes of Israel, and he took their staffs, and eventually the Lord caused Aaron's staff to bud. And, and it was proof that this is the man that is, is called by God. And, and so the great high priest, he had to be of the tribe of Levi, had to be a descendant of Aaron. But as he was, it was just the knowledge that he is called by God. But now all of a sudden we've got this great high priest and he's not a Levi, not a son of Aaron. But now we have this great high priest that we can know and understand this is truly the son of God. This is truly the son of God, the one who's been called. See, he's not an angel, he's not any other being, but he is a man. He was fully human when he came from amongst men. Why? Did the priest have to be a man? And again, we can see how this fits with the Lord Jesus Christ because he had to understand the things that a mortal man dealt with. Had to understand the realities of life and what people go through. He had to understand the struggle of sin and and all of these things. So he had to understand the suffering, the temptation, and the need. He was to be appointed by God. He was to be somebody in the midst of people that God placed his hand upon, understanding the reality of sin and all the effects that that had, but also the reality that as people have been called by God, we must walk in obedience to God's word and according to God's ways. Because there's so many different ideas that are out there. There's so many ways for a person to go. And the high priest, the, the, the called upon pastor, is to be the one who is rooted and grounded in the word of God and setting that standard and that example. Why was he to be appointed by God? Because God wanted to remove from the equation our means and methods of selection. He didn't want him to be elected by men. He didn't want some ambitious person rising up. He didn't want any other kind of selection process other than people would recognize that the hand of God is upon that person. Because how do we judge people? We judge people externally. Well, he's a very eloquent speaker. He's a good-looking guy. Now, I know him of God because I have neither of those. (laughs) I have no, no looks or eloquence. But that's how we grade people. And, and, well, he just seems so nice. He just seems so good. He seems so godly. He closes his eyes when he speaks. And, and we can look at all these external things, but got to look at the heart. But the problem is only one person can see the heart, and, and that's the Lord. And so God will call his person for the work of ministry. There's many false prophets out there, false teachers who are out there, but it's those whom God has brought to the place of the pulpit that he places his hand upon. God chooses those who will represent him. Now, as far as the priesthood, in Exodus 28.1, it says, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from amongst the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And so God was calling these men, and he made it known to everybody that his hand was upon them, his calling was upon them. And so God's not going to keep these things secret. God's going to let all know. Well, again, in, Ma- oh, I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 16, there was that man Korah. He stood up and challenged. Has God only spoken through you, Moses, and your brother Aaron? And really what, what he was doing, he, he wasn't challenging Moses and Aaron. Why? Because they could have their rest in God. 
they were doing what God had called them to do. Now, he wasn't coming up against them. He's coming up against God. And they have this great visualization of him. And as they have this, this public display, this man Korah is killed before everybody. God kills him on the spot. Now, if you came up and said, Pastor Mike, I don't really believe that you should be behind that pulpit. I should be the one behind the pulpit. You probably won't be killed upon the spot. God's given illustrations back then for our understanding, but we need to realize the magnitude as we challenge those in a way that reflects the flesh. It doesn't mean that the person behind the pulpit is beyond reproach. He's not. We're told that not many of you become teachers. You'll be held to a higher degree of accountability. What it means is the things that you speak, you'll be expected to keep those things, to do those things. But on the other hand, to challenge God's called in the flesh for the purpose of exalting yourself, well, that's definitely not of God because the person placed there is by the hand of God, how much more so as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. The second qualification of a priest is one of relating in verse 2. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. It was God's desire that the priest would be able to relate to all mortal men and their sinful ways because the priest was a mortal man and he had sinful ways as well. We all possess a sinful nature. Now, a key to understanding the word compassion, it simply means to suffer with another. Co-passion, to come alongside of somebody and to be there with them and to be there for them to enable them to go through the trials that they go through. Well, this the priest is to have compassion. He's not to exalt himself, nor is he to be exalted, but the idea is to coming together for the growth of us all during hard times and difficult days, without a doubt, but also in the knowledge of the Lord that we would all grow together and come to maturity and move forward in our Christian faith. See, I know that there's not perfection here in this church because I know there's not perfection here. We all suffer with the same things. We all suffer the same temptations and all of these things. We all walk the same path. That being the case, we've got to relate this with one another. We've got to be compassionate with one another. In the body of Christ, there's going to be sin. There's going to be willful sin, there's going to be transgressions, there's going to be mistakes and everything else down the line. But what are we called to do? We're called to dig in and to minister to one another. If we started kicking people out of the church because they've sinned, it's going to be a pretty empty place and there's not going to be anybody standing behind the pulpit. It's a matter of getting together and helping one another and strengthening one another. Now, somebody may get asked to leave the church if they're unrepentant, if they do not exhibit change and they're not open to the leading of the spirit and the ministry of the church, then yes, then the Bible tells us very clearly we're to put that person outside of the church. But in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 it says, brethren, he's talking to the church. Calvary Chapel, Ontario, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, he's taking the worst case scenario here. A trespass, as I said earlier, is a willful sin. It's knowing something is a sin and doing it anyway. So he's talking to the church. He's not people outside of the church because they're just doing what they do. But brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, 
Now, how do we know those who are spiritual? Well, you would back up in Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruits of the Spirit. If you possess the fruits of the Spirit, that means that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. That means that you would be a spiritual person. So I would imagine talking about the vast majority of people that are in a true Christian church. And so, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. It doesn't say discipline. It it doesn't say to cast out. It doesn't say to talk about that person. It's saying do what is necessary to bring that person back to good standing. Good standing, not so much in the church, although that will be a byproduct of it, but good standing in their relationship with God. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, because we can so lord ourselves over people. And if you want to know the spirit of gentleness as it's described here, or at least presented here, considering yourself, at least you also be tempted. It doesn't mean that you may be tempted one day, it means when you are tempted. And, and so how would you like to be approached? For one thing, you don't want anybody to know when you sin, especially a trespass. I knew it was a sin, and I just went out and done. And so we, we've got to do these things in a compassionate manner. And as we do these things in a compassionate manner, then we see the church be all that it can be. But the problem is, or at least the issue is, this is why God chose a priest from amongst men, because I can relate. We can all relate with one another and who and how we are. But the problem is when we start exalting the person behind the pulpit or exalting the priest back in the day, then all of a sudden he's set on this spiritual level that is above everybody that's not really a reality. And when you start making yourself superior, then you're going to start putting other people down. They're exalted above who they really are. And what they do is they reduce people to a lower level. And there's no real work of ministry there. There's definitely not compassion. The whole idea of the priest is to be balanced between love and the law. Too much love, and there's no change for the better, but too much law, and people are crushed. There's got to be that balance of the knowledge of the love of God. Yet while you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But also, we have to understand the commandments that show us what sin are. Hey, are, are, are you judging me? Yeah. The Bible says that, no, and the Bible says don't judge or you'll be judged or something like that, I think, in Matthew chapter 7. Well, yeah, it kind of sort of does, but that's speaking about judging your salvation. And I'm not judging your salvation, but since you have brought this sin into the body of Christ, we want to come alongside of you and we want to deal with it. And people, for the most part, will either leave the church or they'll be better, will they be more ingrained into the church because these things were dealt with. And so the priest, the priest needed to understand this. The priest, he needed to relate to it. A true priest understands temptation and emotion. The third qualification of a priest is that he is the man to make the offerings to God. Verses 3 and 4. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Two types spoken of here, gifts and sacrifices. Gifts, they were the bloodless offerings that were offered to God because of God's goodness to you. The sacrifices, they were the bloody offerings. They were offered for the, well, at least for the the covering of sin. 
the mortal priest. He was to do this for the people, but he had to offer sacrifice for himself as well. If you're going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, the last thing that you were to do was to offer a sacrifice. Because if you went in there, if you brought your sins in there, then judgment would come upon you. They had a rope wrapped around him just in case he went in there, sinned, and was, was killed. That way they could drag the body out. It's never good to have a body in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. Now, consider yourself. Just think, man or woman, you were the one called to be the high priest. Now, I don't know what the exact distance was, but let's just say that there's the altar to make the sacrifice, and right there, that wall, that's the entrance into the Holy of Holies. And so you make sacrifice, and all of your sins are covered. Can you make it from there to there without sinning? Can you make it from there to there without having one single sinful thought? Because what does God demand? God demands perfection. And, and, And so, as far as the high priest... I'd be concerned about myself, and if you were wise, you should be concerned about yourselves also. But the point of the matter is, is that this priest, this priest, he's a man taken from amongst men. And so now, in the midst of all the concerns and considering perfect priestly candidates and all of these things, it's as if he presents a nominee, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the great high priest, because when it comes to priests, we're going to close here today to see that he's better and why he's better and how better he truly is. Back in John chapter 3, we looked at a good man who was supposed to be better than all other men, but Jesus said he needs to be born again. But now we've got Jesus Christ, who is the better high priest, and well, we'll see why. So we saw our first point previously. Our first point previously, that the priest, he must be called by God. And so, is Jesus Christ called by God? Well, Jesus Christ is God, but he is called by the Father for this great work of ministry. There's no doubt. Verse 5, so also Christ, and when you see Christ, think Messiah. Now, since this is a Jew who is born again, writing to Jews who are born again, a lot of what he's doing is he's using the office of Messiah to prove his point. So you kind of got to look at it from that perspective. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the office of Messiah, but who this Messiah truly is. Verse 5, so also Christ, or Messiah, did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You are my son. Now again, we are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're sons of the Father through adoption. He was the natural son. He's the one who had the essence and the nature of the Father. And so this is a quote that has been given to us from Psalm uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Now what does it mean, I have begotten you? And, And it's essential because... We're talking about this priest, this great high priest that continues to make intercession for today. Now, when it says, I've begotten, you would think, okay, well, he created him, he caused him to be born. You can start thinking of all of these things. But Acts chapter 13, verse 30 tells us, but God raised him from the dead. And then you skip down to verse 33. He says, today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he's brought in Psalm 2-7 into Acts chapter 13 that speaks of raising him from the dead. So when he says, I have begotten you, the idea is he's begotten him from the dead. 
And so we can understand now that I have a great high priest chosen by God, but not just something that occurred 2,000 years ago, but continues to work and continues to minister in, in my life, continues to rightly represent me even today. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And so we have the Son of the Father as our great high priest. Think of that. You've got the Son who is representing you to the ultimate judge. And because of that, we should have a confidence in our Christian lives. The second quoted verse, verse 6, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, who in the world is Melchizedek? We're not going to really go there today. He is a priest that was presented back in the book of Genesis. We'll look at it in verses to come. But this was a, a priest that encompassed both king and priest. Now, according to the order of Aaron, you had to be a descendant of Aaron, and you could only be priest. It was contrary to the word of God to be both king and priest. But back in Genesis, we have the picture of this one man, Melchizedek, that he was both king and priest. And that's why it says that Jesus is according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, some people, and again, I'm not really going to get too deeply in this, they said that Melchizedek is a picture of, in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. Um, I personally do not believe that it is. When we get there in Hebrews, I'll tell you why. But nonetheless, we just need to see that this is somebody different. The idea is this is not somebody who is of the Arianic priesthood, but this is somebody completely different. Also, the priesthood of Melchizedek, we have no beginning and no end. There was no genealogy to Melchizedek because he was completely different than in Aaron. There was no end that we see of Melchizedek. We're not told of, of his death. Well, there's no end to the Lord's ministry as well. A priest, Melchizedek, he was a priest who was superior to Abraham. Abraham gave tithes and offerings to Melchizedek. And so what we have here is, is a picture of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in comparison, comparing the priesthood of Aaron, comparing the priesthood of Melchizedek, one was temporary, the other, the idea is, the other is forever. It never ends. Jesus ever lives. Jesus lives forever to offer intercession for his people. As far as the qualification of relating, look at verses 7 and 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The example is how Jesus related to the pain of sin in man's life. Again, Mark chapter 14, the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's the reference here. Jesus is there, and he's pleading with the Father to such a degree that we're told that he's sweating blood. He's just overwhelmed with grief. Now, why would he be overwhelmed with such grief? We've looked at this before, but, well... We know what happened as far as the scourging and the crucifixion. But again, I, I don't really believe that that's what vexed the soul of the Lord. That would probably vex your soul and it would vex mine. There's no doubt about it. 
But what is Jesus, again, preparing to do? What is this obedience and suffering that is being talked about? And again, it's not the physical pain of the cross. It's the spiritual pain of your sins. He's about to take the sins of the world upon him. Pointed to this out many Easter's. That as the Lord is taking sins upon him, he's experiencing the effects of sin for the very first time in his life. And is, I, I, I mean, can't even use these terms in relationship to Christ. And I'm not talking about just in his coming, but I'm talking about eternity past. He was completely without sin, never experiencing the effects of sin upon himself until that point of the cross. Now we're told that the gospel is God's plan for salvation from the foundation of the world. And so Christ knew what was going to happen that next day upon the cross. He's well aware of it. Have you ever had something in your life that was over was really hard or overwhelming and it's going to happen on let's just say using today as an example it's going to happen on wednesday and all i've been thinking about is wednesday and this situation and i'm just dreading it and then monday's coming and you're just thinking about it and it's just not going away and then all of a sudden it's tuesday then it's the night before and you can hardly go to sleep and then finally you fall asleep you wake up a couple times but then you wake up and it's morning and here we go we got to do it well that's kind of the idea of what's going on with the lord here He's understanding. Now, it it was the joy that was set before him because he knew that this was going to unlock the the gates of heaven. But still, it was a hard thing for the Lord to do. And so we have this high priest who definitely is able to relate with, with, with our suffering because he suffered as well. We can, he can relate with our suffering because of our sins because he related with the suffering of your sins also. And so what we're seeing here is, is this priest that, well, the qualifications of a man as a priest, they were all good, but nobody's ever really been able to keep those. But now we've got the Lord Jesus Christ, and now instead of being somebody that is afar off, when you have this understanding, he's brought near, and he's brought personal. And, and, and there's this relationship. And there's this relationship with God that before could be so, so far off, but now through Christ is so accessible. And as it's there, there's no need for shame for those who have given their lives to him. And, and that he understands, he knows what it is like that you're tempted. Whatever it is, and, and as many people as we have here this morning, everybody's tempted with something different to a certain capacity. And Jesus understands the temptation of an all. You may come up to me and say, I'm real tempted by, you know, whatever it might be. And I say, well, what's the big deal? I don't understand. Well, it's because I didn't deal with that temptation. But you are, and that's real in your life. And Christ is able to relate to it. He understands the difficulty. He understands Romans chapter 7, when Paul says, that which I want to do, I find myself not doing. That which I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And going through that, and how you're like, that, man, I I, I don't want to be involved in this anymore, but I still find myself doing it. And how could God ever forgive anybody like me? Jesus understands all that. He doesn't overlook it, don't get me wrong, but he's able to, he wants to enter in and minister with compassion. It's not, we're, we're, we're not the judge here. We're not the police here. We're more along the lines of the paramedics or the doctors, that people would come into the church. Sinners would come into the church, and they would be set free, that they would be ministered to, and their concerns would be, or at least their stress would be reduced. And then thirdly, when it comes to qualifications of offering, look at verses 9 through 10. 
And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The priest from amongst men needed to find the sacrifice without blemish and to offer it for themselves and then another one for others. Jesus Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice without blemish, offered for all of mankind once for all. And so I don't have to deal with, with the burden of the law. These men that I'm watching, and, and they're bigger sinners than I am, these priests. Remember what it was like when, when Christ came. These offerings that I would have to make, truly trying to find a lamb without blemish, and again, if your right standing with God is based upon finding a lamb without blemish, you're going to be looking at that, and is there really any perfect lamb? I mean, what really is a perfect lamb? And having to make that determination, and what happens when you get right to the altar and you see an imperfection in the lamb? And so you're, you're just not sure about all this. And there's just no peace in this, this system. There's 613 commandments, so you're all breaking one probably almost every moment of every day. I mean, y'all can't keep 10 of them. How can you keep 613 of them? I mean, we're all guilty here. And so, that being the case, Jesus Christ, he is the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice that has been presented to you for whoever would receive of this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. Whoever would allow this priest, or I shouldn't say allow, but who would ever, who would ever give of themselves to, for this priest to represent them, again, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what we need to see today, what we need to know is, is the magnitude of who Christ is. And and not having to go back to man's ways, man's ways within the church today or the Jewish faith in the past, and, and how they have defiled those things, but just find our freedom and our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us his word. And Lord, Hebrews is just so valuable as, Lord, a lot of our past religious experience parallels the Jewish Old Testament system and the things that were there. So many people have, man has has mimicked those things and to his own detriment. But Lord, as we see who Messiah is and we see Lord, just this great work of Messiah and the freedom that we have found, I pray, Father, that we would be a people who would rejoice this day. And so, Father, those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I just pray that we would rejoice. I pray, Father, if there be anybody here today who is yet to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. I'm going to be in the back afterwards. If you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come back and pray with me. Come back and talk with me or or with the couple that's up here after service. God wants to see you right with him. He wants to see you right with him even today. So, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. We just lift up this day. I pray, Father, for the 4th of July and just pray as we spend time with family and friends that you would give us opportunity. I pray, Father, for the, the, the ability we have to be a witness that day. God, that you would just simply use all for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.